You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning to you. And take your scriptures, find a Bible if you don't have one with you. We've got them scattered over the place. If you need one at home, please take one. You're hearing that from here. We want you to be in the Word, in the Word of God throughout the week. Not just here, but we gather together, fellowship of believers, to listen to God's Word today. So we're looking at Psalm 119 today. Psalm 119, if you want to make your way there. 176 verses. We won't cover them all. All right, so as you're on your way there, I've got a couple of pictures from last week. One in particular, this one here, is from Malachi's here today. Malachi drew this last week based on the sermon we were in, Psalm 107. Now, from where you're sitting, it's kind of hard to see, so I did a little work and editing. So you can go to the next one, Caleb, and this is the zoomed in of the cartoon. Just, it's worth reading, Okay. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Do you see the guy wandering down there? Okay, cartoon number one. This, here we go. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. You got an idea there, Malachi, of that. All right. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And then the next one, he led them by a straight path. And... A couple more. Until they came to a city to dwell in, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Keep going, Malachi. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully you've found Psalm 119. We're just going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. Just one section of this psalm. Let me read God's word to us that we hear from it first. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Let me pray once again. Fathers, now as we come to this psalm of psalms here, Over and over again, the the delight in you, Lord, and in your word. Even in here is that phrase, enlarge my heart. Father, would you enlarge our hearts today towards you, not towards man-centered ideas or what the world says this is worth enlarging a heart for, this is worth galloping towards, but Lord, enlarge our hearts towards your greatness, and we find your greatness and who you are in your commands, your precepts, your statutes, your judgments, your ways, your statutes. We pray, Father, that you would guide our time here in your word to hear from you, that you'd encourage, convict our hearts. May we, may we be those who walk in your ways as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, this psalm, as just thinking literature-wise, is an amazing piece of, of literature. It's quite amazing. It's, if you've looked at it before, studied it before, it's an, it's an acrostic poem in, in a couple different ways. There's 22, I counted them this morning, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there's 22 sections of the psalm. So we're doing section one. Many of you either have the little Hebrew letter up above, or you have it spelled out, A-L-E-P-H, Aleph, would be the first, and then it goes all the way to the end. And all these Hebrew, so each one starts with, with these. If you have the little Hebrew letter, you can learn Hebrew right from your Bible. You can, you can look at this a little bit. Anyway, the amazing thing then, that's, okay, so that's neat. It's, it's alphabetical that, that way, but within each of these, and, and it's lost in the English translation, but each line here, um, like verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 8 lines worth in each of these, each one then begins with that same Hebrew letter, the same for, the, for this one, Aleph. So Aleph starts every, basically, break, every verse that we have, it starts. And you've seen those acrostic poems, and it does this throughout. So, so in the next one, the, the next letter is, is uh, Bet. So every single verse starts with Bet. It's ama- I mean, just an amazing work that's here. And it should be, shouldn't it? This, this, there's probably a lot of different strains throughout this, but there is a delight of the psalmist throughout in the Word of God. Call it commands, judgments, statutes, precepts. There's delight in this Word of God. And here it's almost like a showcase. Look at even just the artistry of the making of this to showcase just how wonderful God's Word is. Last week, I spoke of coming to the Psalms for refreshment, hitting that button on the computer to refresh. Sometimes when the website is slow and we just we hit refresh and we need that refreshment. And so in the weeks leading up to Advent, we're just being refreshed in the Psalms for renewal in our lives. And the question today is, with this Psalm in particular, as we read about God's commands, laws, testimonies, How does a psalm that focuses on God's commands, how does that refresh us? Maybe if we think honestly, do we think, are not God's rules and ways, aren't they they kind of burdensome? I mean, I want to hear about salvation, redemption. I want to hear about His grace for the broken, but not His commands. That seems kind of unrefreshing, perhaps. And to that, I would only offer what this psalm offers is that happy is he, happy is he who keeps God's commands. Happiness is connected to God's commands. Those who disobey God, they trample his commands, they take lightly his precepts. Are are they really genuinely, they seem, maybe for a moment, they seem pretty happy, look pretty happy for the moment. Maybe for a time they are. There's, There's a pleasure in the sin, but but not one that will last forever. Those who are blessed are those who seek the Lord and keep his ways. So there's two observations from this section. I'm going to break it up in kind of two parts. Number one is verses one through four, that happiness here comes from walking in God's ways. Verses one through four, happiness comes from walking in God's ways. I'll explain that. And then number two is the second part of the psalm, walking in God's ways. 
So happiness comes from walking in God's ways. And then section two, walking in God's ways comes through prayer, knowledge, and resolve. Prayer, knowledge, and resolve. For, so for now, we'll just look at this first part, particular verses one through two, but this first, happiness comes from walking in God's ways. Look at verses one and two again. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Most translations start with verses 1 and 2, start with the idea of blessed. Maybe you have that in your scripture, blessed and so forth. Uh, The New Living Translation has joyful. A a few of them have uh, the word we're going to use here, but the normal Hebrew word, the normal Hebrew word for blessed is barak. You don't have to know these pronunciations, but we think of blessed, the blessing on Abraham, there's that Hebrew barak. That's not the word used here. The word used here is asher, Asher, it's, it's, you think of Asher, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, born to Zilpah, Asher. The meaning there is, is blessed, but there's also another one that some of the translations, some, use as happy. So you've got blessed here. You could, I think, interchange it with happy. So where you hear, yeah, blessed are those whose way is blameless, we read happy are those whose way is blameless. Happy are those who keep his testimony. Does that change how you look at walking according to God's laws? There's happiness to be found there. Walking in his laws, his testimonies. So happiness, that's where we think of this, happy is he who keeps God's commands. It's connected here, and it's connected throughout this psalm. There's delight all over this psalm, and it's dealing with God's commands, obedience to God's commands. Now, John Calvin writes this here, and he writes it about men who seek happiness. I was listening to a program by Joe Rigney that said, all of us are seeking happiness. That's something true of everybody in this room. I liked how he said, uh, we even wash the dishes because of happiness. We seek happiness, right? We wash them because the end goal will make us happy. There's happy. We seek it in these places. Calvin here writes of two ways to seek that happiness. He says, all men naturally aspire after happiness. But instead of searching for it in the right path, they designedly prefer wandering up and down through endless bypaths to their ruin and destruction. Then he goes on to say, the further a man wanders from God, the happier does he imagine himself to be. And hence all treat as a fable what the Holy Spirit declares about true piety and the service of God. This is a doctrine which scarcely one among a hundred receives. You hear what he's saying there? Those who go after, away from God, imagine it to be the happiest road to be on. They don't realize that the happy road is God's road, God's ways. And the world... The world there, the world that's still in, in our flesh, our own hearts would say happiness is found outside of God's commands, right? How do we get around that? But God's word says happiness is found in his commands because happiness is found in God himself. And it's his grace. We think of his commands as his grace on us to hear from him. 
So happy are those who keep God's ways. But then this happiness extends further in the psalm. Look then at, at verses 3 through 4. Who also, so there's all these, those who, those who this, those who do this. Who also, verse 3, do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. There's a right kind of walking. That's verse, verse 1. They walk in the law of the Lord. And a wrong kind, the, the doing wrong of verse 3. And then verse 4 seems to kind of summarize, maybe in a sense here. Here the, the ESV uses the word, you've commanded your precepts. Precepts. One, one writer likened that word to an officer or overseer who gives specific instructions saying this about the word. It points to the particular instructions of the Lord as of one who cares about detail. Precepts, details, instructions. Not generalities. God's ways are not, I'll take a little of this, like a buffet line, right, of commands. I, a little bit of that, okay, I, I agree, Lord, that probably is good for me to do. I'll take a little bit of that and a little bit further and so on. It's not a pick and choose. It's all, and the call is to obey all of them completely, diligently, it says. that We're to obey all of what God's commanded. Now let me stop here and say that I think, and I've been already using them interchangeably, we have, I think we have a lot of interchangeable words here uh, in this psalm. Uh, testimonies, um, walk in the, the law of the Lord, precepts, uh, ways and so forth, commands throughout the psalm. Different words, I think they're in a sense interchangeable. Not that they exactly all mean the same thing, but they all relate. They, they, they fill out a spectrum of God's commands, how he communicates his words and therefore his will to his people. But all this also says, his ways, his law, his commands, says that when, when God says then to have no other gods, he, mean, he means that. Don't have any other gods before me. When he says, don't make an image, God says that. Don't make an idol, which to bow down, he, he, he means that. When he says, don't use my name in an empty, vain, cursing-like way with his name, he means it. When God says, honor the Sabbath day of rest, he rested too. We should find a day, a day to rest from our toiling. And the list goes on, doesn't it? Honor your father and mother. Don't lie. All those commands. Words of the Lord. But the problem for us is that what are here as good commands? This psalmist says these are good things. They're good commands. We are tempted to see as oppressive. We resist God's clear authority, right? And He's the authority. He's the maker and creator of all things. He can tell us what He expects of us. So are not his laws from the maker and creator, are not his commandments, his testimonies, the best thing for us? So we should look at this and say, this is the best thing. There's not another hidden thing. But, but that was the problem, wasn't it? It was the problem of the fall in Genesis 3. God's command isn't there. It's just don't, there's one tree. Don't eat of that one. One command. Are you sure? Satan comes along to tempt. Are you sure? Maybe there's a trick. Maybe there's something more. And it's just been with us ever 
since and we wrestle with God's ways, his commands on our soul, and then we question his goodness and think there's a better, maybe there's a better way, a more enjoyable way. These verses paint a picture here, a vision not apart from God's ways, but a vision of embracing God's commands, embracing them. The psalmist sets the Lord before him, says this is what's good, and those who seek him are happy. They're the happy ones. So there's a goal here, a high goal, verses 1 through 4, walking, keeping, seeking God's ways. But that goal leads to something in verses 5 through 8. I think this is This is really insightful and helpful to see in 5 through 8. The the goal is out there. That way, that way of God's command is happy. It's good because the maker says this is it. This is how you do this. This is how marriage is to be. This is how you're to worship me. This is all these things. But the means to the goal then, I think we see in in verses 5 through 8. Look look first at verses 5 through 6. I'm kind of breaking this up in... Two sections here, verses 5 through 6. Now the psalmist, he's talking about those, right? Those who, third person, those ones over here. Now 5, it gets personal. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. You see that? Oh, verse 5, oh, that my ways may be established. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes. Do you you hear what he's doing here? There's a prayer. He's praying. Prayer. Faith. Dependence. All these words of this. Happiness awaits the ones whose ways are steadfast and the prayer is, O Lord, make it so. I see happiness. This is what I'm to do, Lord. Oh, that my ways may be this way. And the implication here then by that prayer is that his ways are prone to unstableness, prone to not be firm. Maybe wanting in his mind to follow God I want to, but I find my flesh is drawn to disobey. Mind anybody of Paul? So if we think that the psalmist, if he, if he writes this, I'm just, you know, as, as I come to this, is he, is he writing as one? This is a psalmist. Boy, I wish I had his kind of faith. Seems like he's got it all together. This psalm does away with that. There's prayer here. He's a man. We're going to see it more. He's a man dependent on God. Now, verse 6 here gives the goal, kind of the result of his prayer. Oh, that I may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then, so as a result, I shall not be put to, to shame. And when we wander, we all know that when we wander from God's ways, we face the same thing Adam and Eve did in the garden. We face shame and uncoveredness, nakedness, if you will. There's that shame in sin. We're embarrassed. Really hard. It's why it's hard to admit we're wrong. We're embarrassed. I, I should know better than this. Or maybe we, we know it here and we, we act and we're, we're shamed. The psalmist is praying for steadfast ways that shame would not find him. With his eyes 
fixed on all your commandments. There it is again, statutes, commandments, judgments. Fixed on, Lord, what do you have? But as we read through verse 6 and then turn, a, not a corner really, but just continue on to verse 7, I think there's a connection between 6 going into 7 of another. We're talking about walking, um, the means of the goal, of the happiness, of following God's commands, prayerful, dependence. Here, I think we could say knowledge. He's got his eyes. Verse 6, my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules, when I learn them. The means of following God's ways, we've got to know what are those ways. Right? We've got to learn about them, see them, learn them. Not, not honoring God with our, just our mouth and our lips, but with our heart, reverent fear. And so we pray. And we also we walk in knowledge to learn, to read, to study. How do we know? Your Word gives me the knowledge of who you are, how I'm to walk, and we're going to see the ultimate fulfillment in God's Word. Well, lastly is verse 8. This is a really interesting verse. If you look at it, verse 8, there's a unique statement. Verse 8, it says first, first, if you've got it broken up line by line, I will keep your statutes, do not utterly forsake me. I'm going to keep your statutes, do not utterly forsake me. And at first glance, it looks like this psalmist, he's kind of bold to make a statement, right? I'm, I'm going to keep your statutes. And we, we might kind of question him. You know, we, we failed over and over again. We, maybe we want to say to the psalmist, hope that works out for you. I, I doubt it. Doubt you're going to keep them all. That kind of idea. I mean, in our own lives, how many times has God said, don't be angry, don't lie, hide the truth, keep these laws, and yet we struggle with this. And so we read this. We read him saying, I will keep your statutes. And we say, how can he say this? And yet the very next line shows this heart. Do not utterly forsake me. I'm going to keep these. Don't forsake me. Charles Spurgeon is going to ha- help us out with what he calls a happy amalgam. There's a big, there's a, that's not such a big word, is it? Amalgam. A, a mixture. I, had to, I love the iPad. Press the word. Find the definition, right? A happy amalgam. A mixture. There's a happy mixture in these two lines. The one is resolution. Resolved. I will keep your statutes. The other of this amalgam, this mixture, is dependence. you got resolution and dependence together. Illustrating, Spurgeon points to two different people we meet. He says this, We meet with those who, to all appearance, humbly pray, but there is no force of character, no decision in them, and consequently, the pleading of the closet, prayer, right? The pleading of the closet is not embodied in the life. So he's saying there's, there's those that humbly pray fervently and yet not seen in the life. Then, to switch it, it says, on the other hand, we meet with abundance of resolve, 
I'm going to go do this. I will keep this. I, I'm got, I got resolved. Attended with an entire absence of dependence upon God. And this makes as poor a character as the former. He, Spurgeon ends, The Lord grant us to have such a blending of excellences that we may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Resolved and dependent at the same time. You hear the battle? Lord, I want to follow your ways. Oh, Lord, don't forsake me. Paul explains it in Romans 7. He says the law is holy. These are Paul's word, the justification by faith. That Paul who writes of Christ, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. But he sees this war raging in him between what he wants to do, the good, and what he does, the evil or the sin. Do you remember, kids, you may not, you may have heard this song. Do you remember, have you heard the Billy Joel song? It came to mind. Only the good die young. I won't sing it for you up here. It's not worth singing, actually. But I, I didn't know how old it's. 1977 came out. Only the good die young. You don't have to nod if you know that. But that song, the title's really enough, right, of this song. And I think there's others titled that. It's basically a song, Only the Good Die Young. Kind of glamorizes lust. Not kind of, it does, and sin. Makes those who do good, it looks like, what a waste of life. Here's one verse from it. They say there's a heaven for those who await. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. The world, the world looks at following God as the way of unhappiness. You know, teenagers, they just need to sow their oats and then they'll come, you know, just need to spend that time doing that. Kind of go have that fun, get that out of the system. Or sin is glamorized in other ways, like a, that, that bachelor party or that 21st birthday, and it's, it's glamorized. It's glamorized in what we, what we see and put our minds to. And it's even much more in our own hearts that without a work of God in us, not just Billy Joel's song, Without a work of God in our hearts, we too say happiness surely is somewhere else than what God has said. God must do a work in our hearts. We sin because we want to. We take pleasure in it. And the heart of this psalm, in general and in specific as we're in verses 1 through 8, is that one will not find happiness, blessedness, call it whatever, apart from walking in the ways of the Lord. That God, as creator of the universe, He's commanded His creatures, this is how you're to live. Live like this. It's this way. There's not another way. So if the embodiment of happiness is that's found in God since He created it, how do we think? How do we think we can find it somewhere else? And our minds have been tricked. You might say we've been, well, the Bible says we've been enslaved. We've been tempted to doubt God's good commands and we follow the way of Adam and Eve and the battle rages on. Can you identify with this, this psalmist? Lord, I, I, want to, I will keep your statutes. I want them. For in them I'm happy, but then praying, 
Lord, don't, don't forsake me because I, I know my failures. There is good news. Who fulfills this? Jesus Christ. He came to fulfill the law. He was the perfect law keeper. He was, he is fully obedient. And he came to free us from a bondage we could not free ourselves from. We cannot keep the law. That's, what the, that's part of what the, that's what the law shows us. Don't do this. Well, I want to do that. And we're, we can't keep it. We're under condemnation. We face God's wrath and his forsaking us. But if you are in Christ, if you have trusted Christ, repented of sin, looking to him, then you're set free. And it's not a freedom like Billy Joel would say, oh, that kind of freedom. Oh, it's way better and different. Not to go do what's fun and sin, but to live for God. I want you to turn, lastly, to the book of the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter 8. I, in these sermons, I can't remember when we've been at this place. It almost feels like it's been a week or two and we were in Romans 8. And we'll keep coming back to Romans 8. But Romans 8, 1 through 11, I just want to read God's word to us. Paul's finished chapter 7. That's that, that battle of the mind and the flesh. And this crescendo, I do what I don't want to do. The struggle the, and the crescendo of chapter 7. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then chapter 8. Let me just read verses 1 through 11 to us. Think of this, O you who say, God's commands, yes, I believe your word, they're happy, and yes, O Lord, don't forsake me. This is what God says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. How did he do it? Where, did, where was the condemnation on Christ? Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Praise the Lord. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It's Christ who was condemned in the flesh. Christ was forsaken for our sin, for our disobedience. Our penalty placed on Him. Isaiah 53, right? By His wounds, we are healed. We're actually given life by the Holy Spirit, by God Himself, that we might live to God. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Romans 6, 4. He says, we were buried, and we talk about this at baptism, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk. Here's this, Lord, am I walking? I got Psalm 119, walk in the ways of the Lord. How, how does a sinner walk? Because of what God has done in us that we might walk in newness of life. The testimonies, the laws, the commands, the ways of God, they're open to us through Christ. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart and praise God that He's made a way for us to be happy in Him and it's through Jesus. He's freed us to now follow His commands. One more quote from Spurgeon. You'll probably hear him a lot. I've got a commentary by his, on Psalms. It's long, but here's one. It's what he says. He says, Christ is our way. Think of this walking, living. It says, Christ is our way. And we are not only alive in Christ, but we are to live in Christ. The sorrow is that we bespatter, I don't know, do away with bespatter, an old word, that we bespatter his holy way with our selfishness self-exaltation, our willfulness and carnality. And so we miss a great measure of the blessedness which is in him as our way. A believer who errs is still saved, but the joy of his salvation, uh, but the joy of his salvation is not experienced by him. Let me start that again. A believer who errs is still saved, but the joy of his salvation is not experienced by him, he's rescued, but not enriched, great, greatly born with, but not greatly blessed. So there's a rescue of salvation. The enriching is following in the God whose workmanship in Christ you are. And may you have today a resolved dependence. Those two, the amalgam together, resolved to follow God's commands. I will. This is what I want. Lord, what you command, it's good. I agree to delight in them. But may we also have, as we say that and as we read the Psalms, complete dependence in Christ. Thanks be to God. Though we were once slaves, we've been, been made obedient from the heart. We belong to another that we may bear fruit for God. Obedient fruit from souls, free from the power of sin to follow Christ. Happy is he who keeps God's commands. So prayerfully resolve to follow God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each soul in this room that can hear and understand 
what is being said, that there would be a resolve towards your word that says your word and nothing else. That we say with, with boldness and, and, and solidness, Billy Joel got it wrong. He may carry a good tune, but it's wrong. Happiness is found in you, in your ways, in your commands, in your word. May we resolve this. And then, Lord, we praise you and we give you thanks. For you saw our need and our weakness and our inability to follow. As we sang today, you left your glory. We left you, Lord, but you left your glory. We're going to celebrate in months to come, celebrate throughout the year. You left your glory to come for sinners such as us because of your great love and grace and mercy, your steadfast love for those who you would call to yourself. Lord, I pray for any in this room today that are not sure of where they are at in Christ. They have not given their life to you, put their trust in you for salvation and said, you are my Lord. May today be that day of salvation for them. May we who have followed Christ for years resolve today, Lord, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word today. May your grace to sinners like us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.